Nick, today. We're listening in your name. We pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, how about a hand for this team, y'all? Just imagine being in my shoes right now, trying to follow that, y'all. Woo, going to be tough. Thankfully, we're going to open up the Word of God. He's going to do the work. Amen? Let's go to work here. Let's open up 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28 is where we're going to be. Look it up on your phone or if you've got a Bible with you. Uh, and also, it'll be on the screen here. Hey, y'all remember where we were last year about this time? We weren't sitting in here, y'all. We were out in the parking lot. And y'all were honking at me. I, I don't know if y'all were mad or if you were saying amen. Some of y'all may have been doing a little bit of both. I don't know. But it was a crazy time. You remember everything had gone on lockdown. I know you know. I know you remember. And we just felt like we were all caged up. There was a lot of fear going on all around us. We didn't, man, we didn't know what was going to happen. That was a crazy, discombobulating time for everyone, really the whole world. But we felt that as a congregation as well. So it is just a joy to be able to be in this space today. And we're going to learn some lessons from the Word of God. But it's important that we couch it a little bit in thinking about where we were last year because it's going to apply to some degree to the message today. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be what? Made alive. Y'all, that's what we're talking about today. But each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So we know... Jesus is going to come again. He's going to set all things right in this world. He's going to make all things new. Then it says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. For he has put everything under his feet. Everything means everything. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be in all. Here's the bottom line from what we just read. In Christ, we truly live. In Christ, we are truly made alive. Everyone in here who is drawing breath is alive, but not everyone who draws breath truly lives. And Jesus wants that for you folks. He wants you to truly live. He tells us that he came that we might have life and have it to its fullness. He does not want us to live a life where we continually find ourselves trapped by our circumstances. Trapped by our fears, our doubts, our behaviors. And we're going to talk about all those things today. But I, I saw this story a couple of weeks ago and I knew immediately it was going to line up with what I believe the Lord wanted to say today. It was this story about a bear. And this bear had lived the first 20 years of its life. We got a picture of it. It had lived the first 20 years of its life. This poor sweet bear had lived in a little cage in one of these terrible little traveling circus kind of things and just had an awful existence 
for about 20 years. When it was finally rescued, she was taken to this big preserve. She now has this huge enclosure where she has all this room she can run and you know, fresh water that runs through there and trees and climbing things, all kinds, a huge amount of space. But unfortunately, she's been so traumatized that frequently they find her doing just what you can see here, going around and around in that same circle that she could only make over and over again in that cage where she spent the majority of the first part of her life. When we see something like that, when we hear a story like that, we think, that is so sad. That, that poor bear. And, and that's a, a right emotion, I think. I, understandably, we feel that way. Her trainer said she doesn't understand. She continues to feel like she's behind those bars, even though now they're imaginary. She has this trauma, and she can't get through it. So again, we see that and we think how sad, but I believe that the Lord looks at us when He has saved us and redeemed us and made us alive in Him. And when He sees us staying locked in those same cages that hold us bound in this life, instead of really and truly embracing Him and being made alive in every way in our life, I feel like He looks at us and feels the same way. That's so sad that my daughter, that my son, won't live truly alive with the life that I've granted them. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to have a whole new life in Jesus. But so often we find ourselves trapped in those cages, going back to the same old behaviors we had before, and not looking for all intents and purposes, all that different than we did when we, before we followed Jesus. That's a hard thing for us to hear, but we know that sometimes it's true of us. So why don't we this morning expose those cages that hold us bound, and let's all commit to break out of them. I'm going to try to lay those, the three kind of key things I think that keep us bound, those cages that we still find ourselves in mentally, and how we can get out of them. The first cage is the cage of behavior. It keeps us bound. And behavior, what I'm talking about, y'all, is now certainly sometimes our flesh tempts us to go back to sin, like to who we were before we knew Jesus, so we're trapped by our previous sin. We find ourselves falling back into it. But one of the things that Christians also do is we find ourselves bound by this old cage of do better, try harder. Do better, try harder that we think is going to lead to us basically redeeming ourselves, making us good enough to be loved by Jesus. So we play that game over and over again and we find ourselves instead of even on our best days, instead of feeling as close as we want to to Jesus, we actually still feel like, oh, I'm not good enough. And on our worst days, when we know we're really a mess, we just run further away from Jesus. We create more distance between us and Him. Why? Because we're ashamed. And our shame keeps us away from Him. But either way, in either one of those scenarios, guess who's creating distance? It's not Jesus, it's us. And we find ourselves trapped in this cage of behavior. And we limit our lives, we limit ourselves. We're not really being made alive in the way that Jesus wants us to be. Y'all, it would be like if 
if the only way you'd ever learned how to start a campfire was to rub two sticks together, and you know, you can do that, like you can make a fire that way, but if you've ever tried it, it is incredibly difficult. It takes a really long time. And I came along and I said, hey, let's get this campfire going. And you're like, okay. And so you take out your two sticks and, you know, you start on it. And I bring out a blowtorch. And I say, no, no, I got this. And you're like, no, no, well, I'll handle it. And you're just over there whittling with your sticks, right? Like, no, I've got a blowtorch. We can light this fire right now. Y'all, Jesus has got a blowtorch for your life. And he is waiting to use it if you will have it. If you will step out of the way with your two piddly sticks and let him get busy making you new. Breaking these cages of do better, try harder, and that's going to lead to the Lord loving me. Or falling back into the ways that I used to be because I'm just at this point where, I, again, I've, I've given up because I feel like I can never be good enough. So I might as well just go back to what I was doing before. All of these are a problem, and all of them ultimately come from a flawed way of looking, of looking at our faith. We get the equation wrong. That do better, try harder, and the Bible already tells us in Isaiah 64, 6, that all of our righteous acts towards a holy God are ultimately like filthy rags. That's what the prophet calls them. The prophet Isaiah says, All of the righteous acts we would do, they are like filthy rags. They pale in comparison to His holiness. We can never be holy enough to earn God's love. That's not how it works. We are loved. When we are in Christ, we are loved. And this is a beautiful truth. But we got to get the equation right to understand this. For far too long, people have thought works plus faith. And this is the first part of this. Works plus faith equals grace. So if I get all my works right and I have faith, so we get some part of it right anyway, we think, okay, well that means grace for me. But y'all, that's the wrong equation. That's the wrong way of looking at it. And that will keep you bound. That will keep you bound by behavior. But what sets you free is getting this equation right. And here's what it looks like. Grace plus faith. Now that will equal works. And James talks about this. Right? Faith without works, being dead. He talks about that in his letter. So for us, we should be reminded that if we want to break out of this cage of behavior, then we are going to lean in to our relationship with Christ and pray that He would truly make us alive. And He will do that when we rest in the grace that we have from Him as a free, unmerited gift. Because that is grace, unmerited favor. You didn't earn it. You You don't deserve it, but you get it anyway if you're in Christ. And that's the faith piece. I'm coming to Him in faith and I'm trusting Him to do the work, not me. But when I do that, my love offering to him becomes the works that I do. It doesn't produce a behavior in me that just says, well, hey, I, should just, I can just do whatever I want because I've got grace and I've got faith and so I'm good. Now, if that's authentic, y'all, the works come. The holiness comes because Jesus truly has a hold of your heart and then you will break free of that cage of behavior in, in either direction. The second cage we got to break out of is the cage of doubt. For far too long, 
far too many Christians have allowed doubt to hold them captive. And certainly, far too much of the world is held captive by their sin and are held back from a relationship with Jesus because of doubt. But doubt affects the believer and non-believer, oftentimes to varying degrees, but it affects mankind nonetheless. So, ultimately, when we understand the Bible and when we, when we really understand Easter, we know that we are left with two hard-to-refute facts. And this is what we stake ourselves on, y'all, as Christians. Here that we're joined together, we're celebrating Easter, we're singing Ain't No Grave, and we're, man, we're getting pumped up. If we really believe that, this is what we're standing on. There's not a grave that can hold Jesus, period. He did exactly what he said he did. He rose from the dead after he had suffered and died for my sins, and he ascended to heaven. He did that, and I believe that. And so I'm staking everything on that fact. So I believe in the resurrection. That's the first thing we can know. The second thing we can know biblically is that Jesus appeared to many, many people before he ascended to heaven. So that's one of the powerful proofs that when doubt tries to creep into our minds or when non-believers are wrestling with this, they're wrestling with that idea. Well, how could this, I mean, how could somebody be raised from the dead? Okay, a reasonable question. Okay, well, he did. He, he told us he was going to do it. Then he did it. And, oh, by the way, he appeared to hundreds of people. Y'all, this is going to take me a minute, so y'all hang with me. Here's who Jesus appeared to and how he appeared. Jesus appeared in Judea, in Galilee, in towns, in countrysides, indoors, outdoors, morning, evening, on a hill, by a lake, to uh, groups of men, to groups of women, to individuals, to 500 people. He appeared sitting, standing, walking, eating, and talking. Jesus did all that. And he did all that as powerful proofs to the resurrection so that we would believe, so that we would not allow doubt to creep into our minds and keep us bound. We can break out of that cage. The great theologian N.T. Wright writes this. This is what he says. He says, The early Christians did not invent the empty tomb and the meetings and the sightings of the risen Jesus. Nobody was expecting this kind of thing. No kind of conversion experience would have invented it. They wouldn't have made it up. They wouldn't have been expected. This would have boggled their mind to think that any of this could have happened. No matter how guilty or how forgiven they felt, no matter how many hours they poured over the scriptures, to suggest otherwise is to stop doing history and enter into a fantasy world of our own. Look, we should be confident and free from the cage of doubt, brothers and sisters. We should break out of that. We've been told, and we read this at the very beginning of the message this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, 15, the Bible tells us, He has put everything under His feet. That means He's in charge. That means He's got everything in control. But do we really believe that? When it comes to our doubt, 
Do we really believe that Jesus has dominion over everything and power over everything? All my doubts, all my fears, all my worries. Do I really believe he's got it? As little children, we learn how to sing. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? And then it's like we live our whole adult lives like people who forget how the song goes. That's us. We live our lives like that, like we can't remember, oh yeah, he actually has got this. He's got it all in his hands. He has dominion over everything, and I can trust him. I don't have to allow my doubt to keep me caged anymore. Even though, let's just be intellectually honest here, y'all. Christians, listen to me now. Doubt is okay. Doubt's going to happen. If sometimes you doubt, don't beat yourself up about that. Take it to Jesus because he already knows you're feeling that way. You're not hiding it from him. Bring it to him. Lay it at his feet. Tell him why you feel, why you have doubt. Tell him what you're struggling with. It's okay. But don't stay there. Don't allow those things that come in your life, those momentary things that produce doubt and fear and pain, to derail you and keep you caged. Don't, don't let it happen. When I was a, a little kid, I was probably 10 or 11 years old, and my friends, I should probably do this in air quotes, my friends locked me in a closet. And yes, they were having fun at my expense and picking on me. You know, it happens. And so I was in the closet and I was banging on the door and I was yelling at them and I was calling them some not very nice names. And I tried everything in the book to try to get them to, to unlock the door and let me out. And I tried this for a couple of minutes and they didn't let me out. And so I sat over in the corner with like tears in my eyes and I was mad. And I was like, I'm never going to get out of here and someday they'll find me dead and I'll be laying in this closet. And I didn't know how the story was going to end, right? As a little kid and I'm wrestling with the whole thing. And so I'm sitting there, and then I've been in there for a while at this point thinking, well, they never came back and unlocked the door. I'm just going to be stuck in here. I'll know, I'll know when they come back and unlock the door, and maybe I'll finally get out of here. Finally, I just got up and I tried the door, and it opened right up. And when I tried the door, and it opened right up, I looked at it and saw that it did not have a lock on it. They had just been holding the door to keep me from being able to open it. And they were probably only there for those couple of minutes and then they took off because they knew when I got out of the closet I was going to be not very happy. But I let that moment paralyze me. I let it keep me caged. And we cannot allow our fear and our doubt to do this to us. We have got to break away from those momentary, again, understandable but momentary doubts, fears, and pains break away from them, and have Jesus make us truly alive. Last cage is this, y'all. It's the cage of fear. The cage of fear. So we talked about behavior. We talked about doubt. These things keep us bound. And I tell you what, fear is one of the things right at the top of the list. Now, a healthy fear of God, that's a good thing. That's something to be celebrated that's, that's, a, that's a positive thing, that I have a healthy and, res, uh, and respectful fear of God. That's good. That's good. Because we should be afraid of that which is powerful. When my family and I went to Yellowstone a couple of years ago, national parks, and a lot of the national parks have these kinds of warnings, but they tell you on the way in, be careful of the wildlife, and basically don't act up, don't be foolish, right? Because you could get killed. These animals are wild animals. There's, there's 
you know, buffalo and there's uh, bears and there's these elk with these huge, you know, racks. You better be careful. So we were very mindful of this, but we were in our campground and we were staying inside Yellowstone, inside the National Park. And so we're there one night and all of a sudden there's like an episode of National Geographic being filmed right outside. There's buffalo and elk literally in the campsite next to us. Like that's how close they were. Y'all, they were not obeying the rules. They they did not care. They must not have read the signs, I guess. But they were right there, and it was basically like they were fighting over where they were going to bed down for the night. Yeah, one of those two groups was going to sleep there that night right beside us. And, you know, I just, we went back inside and watched from the, because it's like, let's be careful here. And they, you know, they didn't really fight it out, but they kind of played tag. And eventually, I don't even remember, I think the elk won. But either way, it was one of those healthy fear kinds of things. We weren't gone from Yellowstone maybe two months And we read the story in the paper of a woman that got too close to a buffalo, and no exaggeration, because there's video of it. I won't blame you if you YouTube it. They flipped this lady up in the air. Now, thank God she survived. But think about that. There was power. There was danger. And she needed to be careful, and she wasn't. Look, Ken Wyatt says this great. He has a great book called Deeper Into the Word. It says, fear of God means having a right-sized view of ourselves and of God. That's it, right? Fear of God means having a right-sized view of ourselves and of God. But the kind of fear that keeps us caged, that's not, that's not the kind of fear that, that keeps us caged. And that's not the kind of fear that most of us struggle with. No. The kind of fear that keeps us caged and that we struggle with, let's just be honest, it's fear of man. It's fear of what other people think of us. We allow what other people think of us to define us, to tell us who we are. Does that seem very life-giving to you? Does that seem like a recipe for you to be truly made alive? Or does that seem like a recipe to just be drawing breath? You know already that's not what Jesus wants for you. He wants to make you alive. But you have to, if you're going to do that, break out of that cage of fear, especially fear of man. Understand rightly who God is and who you are, that you are his child. And he loves you. And he would clearly do anything for you because he proved it on the cross. This is who Jesus is. But so much of this is as Craig Groeschel says in his new book, Winning the War in Your Mind. So much of this is about the mind. He says, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. If my strongest thoughts are, well, so-and-so says this about me, or, oh, yeah, I messed that up. I must be a really terrible person like that person told me that one time. I'm a mess and good for nothing. When that becomes my strongest thoughts, my life moves in that direction, and that is not the path of being made alive. 
But when I allow Christ to define me and who I am, and I let that be the direction of my strongest thoughts, and so then I make my strongest thoughts center on the completed work of Christ, not my own works. My strongest thoughts center on the completed work of Christ and not my own works. That's what we have to do. It's where we have to get. Do you remember what the Bible says? If God is for you, who can be against you? What are you wasting your time worrying about what mankind thinks? When Jesus Christ has literally given everything for you because he loves you. That truth will help you break free from that fear. Jesus has set us free from death and given us life. So refuse to go back to that cage. Free your mind from a caged mentality. Let, let me finish with this story. It's about a, name, a guy named Robert Salzman. This was a story, true story in the New York Times a few years back. Robert Salzman was raised in a very broken home, a very messed up home, a very difficult situation. He ended up spending most of his life in prison. When he finally got out at the age of 51 years old, he'd been in prison about 35 years. Yeah, that's a long time, whether it was in juvie all the way up to a prison. So by the time he got out, as you might expect, he struggled on the outside. Struggled to hold down a job. Struggled with interpersonal relationships. Had several stints of homelessness. It was just in a bad spot. But then he experienced what can only be called a grace-like experience. Not grace in the context of a relationship with Jesus. I don't know where he ultimately ended up with Jesus. But he had this grace-like moment that fits into what we're talking about today. He was riding on the subway, and there was a, a man there who was about to be directing a movie. And so he saw Robert, and he was looking for a character in his film that he was making that would you know, fit a tough-looking former convict. Well, Robert fit the bill. And so as he saw him, he went over and talked to Robert, and he said, hey, just wanted to get to know you for a minute. Here's what I'm doing. And you know, Robert didn't believe him at first, but he said, no, come in and audition. He gave him his card, and he told him where he needed to go. Well, Robert came in, and he, he got the part. And so they're actually filming this movie, and when they were filming the movie, they were inside of a prison. And as kind of as sometimes movies go, there was these long breaks between the filming sessions. So... Robert Salzman was inside of the prison cell and there was a cot in there and he laid down on the cot in between these breaks and he fell asleep. When he woke up, and you know how this is, sometimes you wake up from sleep and you're like totally disoriented, maybe even more when you nap like this, and he immediately was just crushed because he thought he was back still in prison. So when he woke up, all he just was like in tears almost. Because of what he was experiencing. But then as he came to this realization, just like that really, that he had been set free, that he wasn't really a prisoner, and he was totally free to go from that old lifestyle he had been in and where he had been caught before, he suddenly had this overwhelming sense and feeling of joy. 
this is us. We've been set free. We no longer are who we were. We have been made alive in Christ. So we're supposed to truly live. Jesus has done everything that is necessary to save us. One day, maybe today, and the Bible talked about this, 1 Corinthians talks about it in several places. Maybe today, but one day, Jesus is going to come back again. We can count on that. Just like we can count on the truth of the resurrection and those to whom he appeared. Here's my prayer for you and me. When Jesus Christ comes back, don't let him find you merely drawing breath. Don't let him find you walking around in a circle over and over again. No life at all. No, you let him find you truly alive. Because that's what he wants to do for you. You remember what 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26 said? It said, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. It is our sin that convicts us. And the wages, the Bible says, what we earn for our sin is death. But then it continues with this beautiful, hopeful statement. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Jesus has done for us. Eternal life, crushing death. And he will come again to put it to its final end. All the pain, all the struggle, the loved ones that you've lost, the difficulties that you've experienced, the death that ultimately comes for all of us. He is going to end it. And if you're already a Christian in this room, the truth is the sting of death has already been removed for you. Because you are in Christ and you have hope. You have real life. And not just life for the next 50, 60, 70, 80 years, however much longer you've got left on this planet. No, no. You've got an eternity of life left because of Jesus. So don't believe the lies of Satan that keep you caged. John 10.10 tells you about Satan. Tells you about what the thief wants to do. He wants you. He wants you to just be Barely breathing, barely hanging on, traipsing around in a circle, caught in those fears. That's what he wants. Because it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But here's what Jesus says. I come so that they would have life and have it. What does it say? Oh my goodness, how are we supposed to have it? Oh my goodness, y'all. That's an Easter message that Jesus has given to our hearts. Abundant life for the believer that will no longer be bound. We will refuse to be bound. May it be so. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for freedom.